Um, I want to start this morning, and um, we're going to get into the Word of God. I want to start um, with a quote from Soren Kierkegaard, okay? So many of you know I've got a huge man crush on this guy. I was just on vacation at the beach and just sat there and read a bunch of Kierkegaard, and this quote came up. He's writing in um, Denmark in the, like, mid-1800s, okay? So this is not our context. It's not about us or anything like that. But what he says about the church in his time, it's a state-sponsored church. It's like everyone that lived in Denmark was Christian. That's kind of like how they considered it, okay? And what he says about it, for me, I find uh, it puts a little check in my spirit that lines up with what we're going to be looking at this morning in Scripture. So he says this, when, when one sees what it is to be a Christian in Denmark, how could it occur to anyone that what Jesus Christ talks about is this, cross and agony and suffering, crucifying the flesh, suffering for the truth, being salt, being sacrificed, etc.? He's saying Jesus calls us to some hard things. He says, no, in Danish Protestantism, Christianity marches along to a different melody, to the tune of, merrily we roll along, roll along, roll along. And he says, to them, Christianity has become simply about enjoying life. Now, that's not us. He's not accusing us. He doesn't know us. How could he know, right? But I sit here and I wonder, I think, what is our view? What is Christianity to us, right? What is church to us? Is it simply that? Is it, are these worship songs that we sing, are they just different uh, renditions of that song, Merrily We Roll Along? Is it about being happy? Is it about being whole? Is it about being healthy? I think that, well, I know that Jesus has different words for us this morning. So here we go. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to John chapter 15. We've been looking at this upper room gathering. It's Jesus getting his disciples together, and he's talking about all the most important things that he wants them to know before they go. And so he's washed their feet. He's talked to them about how what he's calling them to is radical service of the people around them. He's talked about the vine and the branches and how we are tied together. Our life is in him. Pastor Nathan did an amazing job last week of talking about how he is the source of our life. Um, we've talked about the spirit of God. He's basically preparing them for everything they would need to do when he went, returned to be with the father, re resurrected and went to be with the father. And here he takes a turn that, that is pretty somber. He's preparing us for something hard. It does not fit the merrily we roll along narrative. And here's what it says. The first few verses here, verse 18 of John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So thank you, Jesus, for some uplifting words there to start our Sunday, right? These are hard, hard words. When we think of what do I want in a church experience? What do I want my faith to encounter? Jesus' words are pretty harsh. Hey, people hated me, so they're going to hate you also. People persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you also. He's warning his disciples. He's preparing them for something that's kind of intense. Now, and he uses the word persecution, and I think um, in my spirit, I'll, I'm just going to wrestle with this in front of you guys. In my spirit, I've got this tough relationship with the word persecution right now, living where I am in 2021, summer 2021 in America. The word persecution is weird for me. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack why I say that using two basketball analogies, okay? So this is a basketball Sunday. On the one hand, um, I'm here, okay? And I am coaching my daughter's fifth and sixth grade basketball team, all right? Which is an experience, let me tell you. I'm, I'm new to it, and I'm, uh, I'm saving their league and allowing them to play by stepping in as a coach. And um, here's what I've learned so far. 
These girls are amazing. I would love to have them all as my daughters. Almost all of them are way too nice. Like, way too nice, okay? So it makes sense. You teach your whole life teaching your kids, like, um, hey, be kind, share, right? When someone's there, give them what you have, you know? Be nice to them, smile, don't... And then now we're like, okay, when they've got the ball, you take that thing and you run with it, you know? <laughs> don't pat... No, you know, when you set that screen, make sure they feel it, you know? And so uh, it's just a totally different thing, and these girls are way too nice. And so we're starting practice, and they're kind of out there, and they're dribbling, and they can kind of do the plays, like I say it, but they're smiling, and I'm trying to get them to see, guys, that's great. You're doing good. And I love the smile on your face while you do it. But when we get in the game tomorrow, when we get in the game, these girls are going to come up and they're not going to smile back at you. They're going to take that ball from you. So you got to get tougher. Okay. And I think there's a side where Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, Hey guys, it's been fun. It's time. Things are going to get tougher. Okay. You need to toughen up. You need to wipe that smile off your face a little bit and let's get serious about what we're doing. So Jesus is, I think, preparing his disciples. Persecution is coming. You're going to be resistant. This is going to be hard, okay? Now, I'm going to step over here for basketball analogy number two. This week, the NBA Finals just finished up, and I loved watching these games. One of my favorite players right now is Chris Paul, and he is just, like, phenomenally gifted. He's amazing. I love that he's not the tallest one out there, but he's just doing all kinds of great stuff. There's this thing that happens, though, with Chris Paul in particular, and it's kind of like an NBA thing, but... Um, he'll be, he'll be over here, right? And he'll take a shot, you know, and someone will be like over here and they'll like swing their hand, right? He's way over here. And somehow, man, them swinging their hand, he flies back onto his, and he lands on the ground and he's rolling in immense pain. There's no way that guy touched him. So it's called a flop. It's like all over the NBA now. And Chris Paul's like the master where, where you don't get hit, but man, you like sell it and the refs call a foul. And it's just like, so... Flopping is a thing. When we talk about Christianity today, man, we need to get tough, right? Things are getting hard. Jesus warned us. On the other hand, guys, let's not be a bunch of floppers, right? Let's not, wait, let's not call persecution what's not persecution. Let's not have the, the complex of, oh, everybody's always out to get me. So now, these things I'm wrestling with, okay? It's going to get tough. When I, if, I, if I were to share with you my list of th ways that I think we've cried wolf with persecution this year that maybe aren't, um, Maybe I'll share a couple with you, okay? Um, did you guys know there's a controversy right now with um, Christians being persecuted on regard of chicken sandwiches? You guys aware of this? I, so, okay, hey, you guys believe whatever you want to believe. It's totally fine. But uh, Chick-fil-A uh, is like somewhat of a Christian uh, company and whatever, and they make chicken sandwiches and they're delicious, but then Burger King came out with one, and now, like, the, honestly, a bunch of Christian leaders are in uproar over the chicken sandwich um, uh, debate, Okay. I don't think the chicken sandwiches mean that we're being persecuted, okay? When you talk to somebody on, online or in person and they disagree with your views, I don't believe that you're being persecuted, okay? When someone teaches something in school that's different, now I'm getting a little bit like more sensitive here, I can tell, um, that, that you don't agree with, that you wouldn't teach your kids, I don't necessarily think that's the same as persecution. Now, we can disagree about what it is, but all I'm trying to say at the beginning is there's a reality in which we have to be serious. We have to know there's persecution for those that want to follow Jesus. And on the other hand, I want us to be careful to say, okay, let's be persecuted for the right things. Let's, be, let's, let's allow ourselves to be attacked when we're following close to Jesus. Let's not look at everything and have this complex, this victim mentality of everyone's always trying to get me. Let's follow Jesus in everything that he says. I think that's about as controversial as it gets. If we made it through that, that's great. If we didn't, it's okay. All right, all right, we made it, we made it. 
I want to unpack what Jesus says we should be persecuted for, okay? This is where it's going to help us. And here's, here's who is doing the persecuting. This is what's been a big realization for me this week. Who is doing the persecuting? Can anybody, go ahead and shout it out. Who's doing the persecuting? The world, okay? Jesus says it. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So it's the world that's persecuting us. And I think this is familiar as Christians because we look at the world out there and we see there's people that think differently than us. There's people with different agendas. There's people that um, are either in government or out of government, right? They're, they're in our neighborhoods or they're overseas. Like there is a world out there that's living in sin, that disagrees with us, that doesn't like us, all these kinds of things. And so for me, on that level, it's easy to hear Jesus say, if the world hates you know that it hated me too. But then we have to step back and ask, okay, what did Jesus mean by the world? Who was he referring to? And I actually think there's three clues in the text that have convinced me that what he says when he says the world, I think he does mean people that are outside of the church, people that have, um, you know, secular agendas and all those kinds of things. But I think he also means uh, people in the religious community. And here's why. The first context we have to see is, is, um, John is writing this. This is the Gospel of John. He's writing this, and when John is writing this, there are Roman governors that are um, persecuting Christians. People that, like, if you lived in Rome at that time, you had to make a offering, a sacrifice, kind of a pledging of your allegiance to the Roman state, to the goddess Roma, and if you did that, we're cool, and if you don't do that, you're going to experience persecution. So John is writing in a world where the governing authorities, where the the non-believers, so to speak, are saying, you've got to do what we do, and if you don't, then we will literally persecute you. Things like throw you to the lions, things like burn you at the stake, that kind of stuff was happening. And John, as he's writing this, recounting these stories of Jesus, is experiencing that opposition from the world. There's three things in this text where I think Jesus is showing us it also looks like people in the religious community. So here's the three hints I see. The first one comes in verse 25. So if you've got your Bible with me, with you in front, look down with me to verse 25. So he's talking about the world that hates you, the world that opposes you, the world that persecuted me and will persecute you. And he says in verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. He's talking about the world, and then he says, their law. Who has the law? It's the religious community, right? It's the Jewish people. Now, hit number two comes down in in chapter 16, in verse 2. He says, what's going to happen? This persecution's going to come. What's the world going to do to you? He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. And who had the synagogues? This is the religious community. Again, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. And then he says, um, again in verse 2, he says, the third hint this is this. Um, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So who are these? Are these the, the government powers off in the distance? No, these are the ones that are trying to honor God by persecuting you as Christians. And so all I'm saying with, is this. When we think about the persecution that Jesus tells us to expect, it is, it's true. It's right. Jesus was put together by the Roman government. It's people out there that are going to harm us and attack us and want Ill, like have ill feelings towards us, right? But it's also the people in the religious community. There's also a friendly fire element to this. And I feel like we've seen it this last year where Christians, man, we've been kind of at each other, right? There's been a bunch of things that have become the big things. And I think Jesus is saying, if you follow me in the way that I'm calling you to follow me, you're going to experience persecution. And man, Jesus said it. It happened. It was true. He was put together by the Roman government. He was also handed over, betrayed, um, basically put to death by the religious establishment at the time. So the persecution, there's two senses of the term the world. And Jesus is saying, man, if the world hated me, know 
The world, if the world hates you, no, the world hated me first. He's sending his disciples, he's sending the, his followers out into a world that is hostile to Jesus and what he's trying to do. And that world doesn't just include the people that are different. It includes the people that, that you feel like should be your allies. And so he's saying in verse 19, if you were of the world, if you were just like everybody else that you're living with, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, right? Who has any problems with someone who's exactly like them? But he says, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is saying, I called you out. Like it, there is a stream that's flowing steadily and everything will go fine if you flow within that stream. But I've called you out of that stream and I've called you to something more significant. I've come to, called you to something that's better, but also I've called you, called you to something that is more difficult. And so he's calling us in to this difficult stream of follow me, do what I'm calling you to do and recognize that when you do this, Man, you're, you're my servant. Servant doesn't get off scot-free. If they hate the master, they're going to hate the servant, and you're going to find opposition from all these people. So he's inviting us into something deeper. I'm going to uh, jump ahead here. Okay, so I'm going to jump down to verse 21, and let's read a few more. Jesus now, I think, is going to share the reason why this persecution comes. So he says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I did not do among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. See, this is, this is like the fundamental human problem is there is rebellion and antagonism towards God. And it's easy to look at the sinners out there and say, oh, look at all of you people rebelling against God, right? But don't forget, this is the fundamental human problem. This is all of us. It started in the Garden of Eden. This was when God created his people, put them in his garden, and they had this relationship with him. But still, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And every day since then, people have been rebelling against God. And I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, I'm one of those people that rebels against God. I'm one of those people that even now, I love Jesus. I love the Father. I do, but my actions often show a rebellion towards God. And so here is the fundamental thing, is that there is this tension between a God in heaven who loves us so much, who created us. He didn't have to create this world, but he did. He didn't have to make it beautiful and good and enjoyable, but he did. He didn't have to make us so that we could have a relationship with, he, with, with him, but he did. And so here is a God that loves us, that gives us so much, that calls us back to himself. The Old Testament constantly, the story is he's calling us back to himself, but here are human beings who are just resisting that call, that are resisting God, and here Jesus is putting it in terms of hatred. They hate me because they hate the Father. There's this tension that is always there, and he's saying this is why this is coming, is because there's opposition to who God is. Now into that, Jesus comes as the perfect messenger for God. Jesus comes as the one who's saying, I am calling you in. Come back to me. Be restored to me. Join my family. We talked about how he's, um, a few weeks ago, how he's inviting everybody. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In my father's house, there's many rooms. He's calling everybody in. And Jesus is there as the messenger and as the one who prepares the way and saying, come on in. But what happens with Jesus is as he enacts this, as he does these things, as he speaks these words of invitation to God, convicting us of sin and calling us away from our sin back to God. And as he does these acts of healing and restoration and forgiveness, as Jesus does all of these works, 
there still is a whole world looking on and just rejecting what Jesus is offering. I don't want it. And he's saying they don't want anything to do with the Father, so they don't want anything to do with me. And because I'm now sending you to do this same task, they're not going to want to do anything with you. They're going to they're resist this invitation that we're getting. And Jesus says in here, like, what's written in their law must be fulfilled. He quotes from the Psalms to show how they hated me without cause. This has been foretold. This is how it's always been. And yet I think there's a beauty in the fact that God keeps sending his messengers. God speaks himself. God sends his prophet. God sends his son to speak and invite. And Jesus goes to the greatest length of dying, resurrecting, and now empowering us and sending us to offer that message. But if it was hard for Jesus, he's promising us it will be hard for us as well. This is, this is, I think, a fascinating way to look at it. This is what Jesus was doing in this world. This is Jesus in Luke 4 as he's launching his ministry on earth. What was Jesus doing that got him persecuted? It was this. He reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what was Jesus doing in this world? He was coming to people that were hurting, people that were oppressed, people that were blind, people that were captive, and he was proclaiming with his mouth the good news, the gospel of that freedom from all that. And he was performing with his actions this, this embodiment of the kingdom, of the healing, of the wholeness, and he's calling people in and yet we see throughout the world outside and the religious establishment itself sees Jesus doing these things and says, no, don't do it like that, right? Don't do it like that. Don't do it without us. Don't say anything that's different than what we're doing. And he experiences all of this tension. And so um, Jesus says this. I'm going to jump down now to verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. See, here I think it comes down to what is this all about? Jesus is saying, I am going to send you a helper. Uh, I'm going to send you a helper. So th we've already seen the helper in chapter 14. We're going to see him again in what we talk about next week. The helper is the spirit of God. It's, it's his spirit that comes to us to help us because Jesus is basically saying this. Like, I... He, that, the Father, so he's saying the Father sent the Spirit. Um, he's saying that he himself also is sending the Spirit. And he says that the Spirit is, in verse 26, going to bear witness about me. The whole thing is we're showing what Jesus did, who Jesus is. The Spirit is meant to reveal that. And he says in verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The call in all this, the reason that God sends the Spirit of God, this supernatural um, third member of the Trinity who comes to us and he lives within us and he gives us life and he gives us power, the reason he's there is because he's here to bear witness and we're sent to bear witness. So together, we get to side by side bear witness to who God is, to what he's doing, to what we've experienced. And here, I, I, I mentioned how I've been wrestling with the word persecution. I've been wrestling this week also, um, and you're probably going to just accuse me of being overdramatic. I've also been wrestling with what does it mean to bear witness, okay? What does it mean to bear witness? Because this is huge. Jesus is saying, this is our task. Go and bear witness about me. 
And I think at different times in my life, I've had seasons where I've equated that with apologetics, where I'm like learning all the like philosophical arguments for how do you prove to somebody God's existence. And I know for me, when I was in seminary, we'd like listen to the recordings of the like Christian philosophy professor that debates the atheists and basically just like comes with all the best arguments and makes that poor atheist guy cry. And the, the audience is just like, yeah, we just proved God, you know? And uh, so I've equated that with what does it mean to bear witness? It means we prove everybody else wrong and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, we channel our inner C.S. Lewis, we grab our pipes and we just prove God's existence to everybody. Maybe. I think that's part of it, maybe, you know? Not the whole thing about making him cry, but maybe, right? On the other hand, it's been like, okay, hit me up with like a whole packet of these gospel tracts, the four spiritual laws, and I'm going to go hit people in the streets and I'm just going to convert people. Is that what bearing witness is? Maybe part of it, right? But I think the beauty of it, the whole thing is Jesus is saying, you're going to bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. I think he's saying, you're going to take the things that you see, have seen with your eyes. Think of these, tw these 12 disciples that are with him. They've seen Jesus do some things, right? They've heard him say some things. And so he's saying, now I'm going to leave. And what's your job? Say the things that I said and talk about the things I did. Help people understand who I really am and what I've done and what I've accomplished. That's what it means for them to bear witness. Now, for us, is it a little bit different? I think so. I think so. I've read all those accounts. You know what I'm saying? I, I see it written in Scripture. I believe it. Like, on a really deep, fundamental level, I believe the things that it said that Jesus did. But I, I didn't quite see it myself. And so I'm going to speak about what I know and believe from what God has written down. I'm also going to bear witness to the reality that I've seen God be real in my own life. And so I think of people that, like, um, I, I've, I've prayed for, right? And they've been healed. And it's, it's like literally a miracle and I know it, okay? So you pray for it, you see it. And that is something I can bear witness to and say, hey, I don't know. Medically, I don't know. I don't know where the cancer went. I don't know um, where this, this pain went. Like, I don't know. But all I know is I asked God and he came through and I'm here to testify, to bear witness, to tell you what actually happened. And it was this, God was real in that moment and he did a thing and I can't explain it any other way. I can talk to people about what I've experienced with Jesus, the guilt that I felt, um, the powerlessness I've had against sin in different areas of my life, and how Jesus has come and he's brought life and power and strength into me in a way that I, I'm, my, I'm, I'm a different person than I used to be. So I can bear witness about that truth. I can talk about how um, I've been lonely and exhausted and tired and yet God has supernaturally sustained me. So bearing witness becomes then simply a way of talking about what I know to be true, what I have experienced with Jesus. And I think what's hard sometimes for us as Christians is we hear a C.S. Lewis type waxing philosophical about God, and we think, okay, that's my job. I have to do that. But no, you don't have to be C.S. Lewis. You can be. Some of you are as smart as that. But, but you don't have to be C.S. Lewis. You can be yourself, right? And if you have that encounter with Jesus, that is what you testify to. That's what you bear witness to. And for me, that takes so much of the pressure off of thinking, man, I've got to, I've got to study up. I've got to bone up on all that stuff. I've got to know so that when I'm in there, man, I can just, nope, just bear witness to who Jesus really is. Talk about what he's really done. I think the hard thing is, is that sometimes um, we get into a place where we kind of lose sight of that and we kind of lose out on that connection with Jesus. And we maybe, um, maybe, maybe we aren't having that experience with Jesus. And then there's a whole different kind of insecurity that sets in. I have a friend, uh, Kyle Wagner, that he likes to say this. He says, you can't give what you don't have. You can't lead where you're not willing to go. And you always reproduce who you are. 
And for me, those three things have been really profound. You can't give what you don't have. So if we're, ta- if we're coming to bear witness to Jesus and we don't have an encounter with Jesus, we, it's going to be hard to bear witness to that, right? You can't give what you don't have. Um, you can't lead where you're not willing to go. So how am I going to bring someone into an encounter with Jesus if I'm not willing to step into that myself? Are there, is there sin? Is there doubt? Is there um, self-preservation that's keeping me from kind of falling on my knees before Jesus and saying, I want who you are. Please work in me. Help my unbelief. Help my doubts. Help all this. And just offering ourselves to God. We can't lead someone else to where we're not willing to go. And so I think bear wit- bearing witness becomes about, in these moments, having those honest conversations with God and saying, sometimes it might even be as simple as, Lord, I don't believe in you right now, but I think that I want to. Would you please help me? Would you speak to me? Like, I, I think that I want this. Would you work? I think that is a moment of honesty, and I think that's a type of encounter with God. Sometimes it's just holding ourselves open like that. And, and the last one, we always reproduce what we are. If we're going to go bear witness to Jesus and we're not really into Jesus all that much, it's hard to bear witness about him. And so... Um, for me, it becomes simpler. What are we called to do? What are we going to be persecuted for out in the midst of the world? Christians have taken up a lot of banners over the years, okay? The, the most ugly, I, in my opinion, of them is uh, the Crusades. Um, and I know there's a difference of opinion about, like, what was happening there. But at the root, right, there was the Holy Land was being taken over by Muslim forces. And all these Christian kingdoms in Europe are saying, we, it's our job to retake this physical ground. Now, Like, it's more complex than that. I get it, right? But is the persecution all about reclaiming a physical territory? I don't think so, right? Um, Now, this gets hard, okay? This gets really hard because here's where we are. um, We disagree pretty significantly about what does this mean? What does it mean in, like, the legal realm? What does it mean with regard to America as a nation? Um, What does it look like with regard to local politics? What does it look like in conversations with neighbors? I don't know. To be honest with you guys, I don't know. Some of you guys are going to go out from here and you're going to fight in the name of Jesus for things that I'm not as convicted like I need to fight for that. And similarly, I'm going to go fight in some spaces for some things that I feel really convicted about. And you guys are like, I don't know, Mark. You think you're being persecuted for like standing firm here, but I think you're just kind of being a jerk to people for no reason, right? And, uh, and we can disagree on that. I think the key is that we all are on our knees before the, the Lord God Almighty, and we ask the Spirit of God, would you nudge me, would you prompt me, and would you empower me to bear witness in all of the appropriate spheres? Some of you are in, in places, um, both in person and online, that I, I'm not. And so bear witness there. Like, like, do the things that God called you to do, but I just would warn us against the chicken sandwich wars and the flopping, right? Of like, you know what? If we're going to make something a hill to die on, let's make sure it's a hill that's worth dying on, right? Let's get it back to Jesus and what he's calling us to. And Jesus needs to be represented in politics, in public schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, all of those things, okay? So there is no part of me that pulls anyone back from man. Represent Jesus in those places. Just make sure that we are prayerfully, in a spirit-led sense, representing Jesus and not just our own self our own political parties, our own echo chamber that we have online that we've cultivated. We represent Jesus and we follow him into those spaces. Amen. Don't fire me. Um, Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Spirit of God would convict you guys too much. Um, I I think this is worth saying too. I I read this this Barna study um, from 2014. So it's, you know, a little bit dated now and the whole world's 100% different now than it was like two years ago. But um, they they have this book called Churchless based on a study they did. And they're looking at, okay, what, like, 
there's a whole, there's a growing number of people that want nothing to do with the church, okay? So, so it kind of looks at that and says, why? Why are people kind of over church? Why, you know, it's, that's a little bit overblown. There's actually way more people that love um, church and what happens there and Christianity and all that stuff. Obviously, you lovely people are all proof of that, right? We stand here as like, yeah, there's something to this. But the, the top three reasons why people are opposed to church, I think I have a hard time fitting these with what it means to bear witness to Jesus. So the three things here, I meant to put these on a slide and I forgot. The first one, the most popular one is that people said, the reason people gave basically for why I don't want to be a part of church anymore is that Christians demonize everything outside of the church. So we look at everything out and we're like, oh, it's all bad. We demonize all of it, right? Um, the next, next one, churches ignore the problems of the real world. And the third one is churches are too concerned that movies, music, and video games are harmful. So I think what I hear in that, and it's just, it's just research, it's what it is, right? But what I hear in that is not, I mean, these people are calling me to um, this encounter with Jesus. Um, these people are calling me to let go of my sin and follow Jesus. Like, I don't hear this bearing witness stuff in that. I hear a bunch of people outside of the church saying, I would be a part of the church, except that when I see them, they're just saying everything that they see is bad. They're calling me away from movies and stuff like that. And uh, what was the other one? They, uh, they're ignoring the problems in the real world. I, I want to be about addressing the problems in the real world, right? I want to demonize what is demonic, right? But I also want to just lead in, anyways, bearing witness to what Jesus is. And here's, here's another thing. Amongst young adults, 30 and under, back in 2014 at least, unchurched young adults found church unsatisfying. So when they've attended church, they found it unsatisfying. Why? Number one reason, because I am unable to ask my most pressing life questions in church. Isn't that sad? And then second one, churches do not help with depression or other emotional problems. It just feels like there's these issues that people are wrestling with in real life where I feel very deeply, oh my goodness, we have the answer to that, right? Like we have the theological answers and we also have in the community, the gracious community of the church that's healed and redeemed, we have the opportunity to provide what people actually need. But instead, we've kind of done a good job of, I think, doing the Chris Paul flop thing and making issues the main thing when I don't think they're the main thing. Let's play hard. Let's get fouled. Let's keep going. Let's run. And so here we go. Here's where we end this whole thing. The first couple of verses of chapter 16. Jesus says this, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I think Jesus is saying this in the same way that I'm over here coaching my fifth and sixth grade girls in basketball and saying, hey guys, it's time to get a little bit tougher, right? It's time to get a little more serious about this. It's not about how much fun we're having, although I often have a blast with you all, right? But it is about there's something serious that's happening and be tough, be ready, okay? But let's get in there. Let's follow Jesus. Let's bear witness to who he actually is and let's be ready that when that happens, Jesus was trying to do all kinds of good things in the world and yet he was opposed and he was hated and he was persecuted. So when we go in and try to do all kinds of good things, calling people to a healed relationship with God, to be part of a beautiful and loving community, when we do these things, just be ready because people are going to fire back at us, right? People don't want to be about the things that we're about. People are going to have a hard time with the things that we're saying. But he's saying, expect the persecution. Expect it. It's coming. And guess what? It's okay. I'm going to be with you in it. 
To me, one of the most beautiful aspects of this passage is how insanely and persistently Trinitarian it is. And what I mean by that is this. The Father sends the Spirit to help us. The Father sent Jesus to help us. Um, the, uh, the, the Son sends the Spirit in the world, in the midst of it. And there's all this like talk about how the three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all working for the same mission. And there's this hatred of Jesus because there's a hatred of the Father. And all of it is just so tied together. And then what's crazy to me is how into this knot of the Trinity and what God is doing, into this knot, he takes us and he ties us into that knot as well with the Trinity. And he says, look, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They hate me because they hate the Father and they're going to hate you as well because we're all about this same thing together. We get the privilege of following the Spirit of God, following Jesus into the midst of a world made up of people out there and people in here, right? Religious and non-religious people into a world that man has real problems with what Jesus is trying to do. And he's saying, don't worry, we're in it together. We're tied together in this knot that's gonna be really hard to untangle and I'm in it with you. And I want you to know when it comes because it's gonna be hard and you need to know in advance. And I wanna close with this. Um, I did a wedding not that long ago and um, for a, a former college student of mine and um, just so cool to do a wedding for someone you believe in. And one of the things that we talked about, and I often talk about this in premarital counseling, and then I talked about it at her wedding, is this. Married couples, okay, when, when, I'm, when I'm doing premarital counseling with people about to get married, I always tell them, guess what? Marriage is hard, okay? And they're not surprised to hear it, but they don't know. You know what I'm saying? They don't know. But marriage is hard, okay? And when I'm doing marriage counseling down the road and some really heavy issues come up, Things like cheating, things like a spouse gets like really sick or has to be cared for all the time, things like the money is not there and everything's tense. What happens is down the road, you hit these really hard problems and the sentence that often comes out from one person or the other is, I didn't sign up for this, right? Marriage is hard and I did not sign up for this. And, I, and what I told them, and, and, and I believe this, although I'm a hypocrite because it's hard to live, right, is... I'm telling you right now, people say that later because they don't read the fine print before they say I do to each other. But I'm telling you that I am promising you, you are signing up for this, whatever this is, right? And this gets really, really difficult and hard, but you're saying literally in the vows, it's there for better or for worse, right? For richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You're saying, I'm committing, I'm in, even though it's gonna get hard, I know it will. And the hard thing is when you're in that moment to then remember, okay, you know what? That's my signature on that piece of paper with that fine print. I did sign up for it. Now, um, I, I probably just opened a whole can of worms. I know that like marriage is very complex. And so I, I don't want to be putting on to all of you sitting out there like, well, but my marriage, this and that. Like, I, I get it, man. I, I'm not trying to make some broad pronouncement with it without the context of knowing what your relationship is and all that. There's a place for counseling and working through and um, God is gracious and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm trying to do is draw this analogy here and just say this. I think Jesus was giving the, the disciples the fine print right here, right? It's up front. Um, come be connected, like as Nathan talked about last week, come be connected to me as the source and I will give you power. Come stay connected to me like a branch in a vine and we're gonna bear fruit together. Go out into the world and serve people in humility. Make sure that love is the thing that characterizes you before all else. And he's just saying all these things and here we are in the fourth, we just tipped into the fourth of the five chapters in this upper room discourse and Jesus is saying, but just know, man, it's gonna get hard. 
and there's some fine print. It's going to get hard. People are going to hate you. You're just trying to help them. I know it. I get it. I'm God. I've been trying to help people my entire existence. Yeah, theologically, I'd have to unpack that. Just disregard that one. Um, I've been trying to help people this whole time, and they're still resisting me, but don't worry. It's going to happen, but don't worry. I'm with you. It's worth signing up for. Let's be tough. Let's get in there together. Let's make sure we're being persecuted for the right things, and I'm telling you, I don't know all the details. I don't know all the places that God will lead you, but the right thing is always going to be when we're the closest to Jesus, and we're following him, and we're obeying him in the things that he's directly calling us to do in this world. So let's pray. We're going to worship some more and process all this, but let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for these sobering words that you've given us. Lord, I, I love this church. I love your church, Lord. I, um, I know there's accusations of how we're, we can be wimps and all that kind of stuff. And I say that kind of autobiographically. Lord, I can be such a wimp. And yet, Lord, I'm so thankful that you are gracious with me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you accept me. And, and that it's just so much more than that. Lord, thank you that you empower me and that you work through me and that you transform me. And so, Lord, I just think of us as a church family here. Lord, I think of us as this group of people that, Lord, we love you. We love each other. Lord, we want to see your kingdom um, made more and more of a reality in this world. We want to see people around us actually experiencing you and encountering you and being baptized because they know and they see and they proclaim that you are real. Lord, help us to be your witnesses, to bear witness to your truth. Lord, help us not to walk away from here feeling like we need to try harder, we need to do better, but Lord, help us to hear in this your promise that it is hard and that's why you're sending us your spirit to help us. Lord, thank you that you've named your Holy Spirit the helper. That's amazing. And so, Lord, I just pray for us right now this morning. I pray for that help. I pray that your helper would help us, that he would empower us, that he would give us life. Lord, may we be a community of people that, that feels like life because we know you and we encounter you and we see you and we help each other when we fall. We lift each other up when we're down. And mostly, Lord, we're just so enamored with you that you flow through us. Lord, that's what we want, and I pray that you would make that a reality in our lives as your spirit works in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.